ladies, gentlemen, pimps in between, as one Daniel Finton would say. Still a weird phrase. Uh, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast Extravaganza. This is episode one two hundred and three, uh, third episode of the year. First time we are not discussing a game this year, um, and we're still yet to discuss a win. Obviously, two defeats: the Fulham and Liverpool game we've spoken about in twenty twenty four, and it's Max. Well, it's it's the other member of the quadfector. Um, who is nice. Daniel Finton and Rob Worthington, who is making their debut in 2024 on the podcast. Um, that was a weird way of phrasing it, but there's a celebrity, uh, Mac Johnson. What are you saying? <laughs> Not much, just the intro. Um, nah, I'm doing all right. You know, I'm, I'm having a good time. It's nice to be on. It's, uh, it's been a quiet spell, I think, in general, on, on the We Love You Arsenal side of things. I mean, it is January 16th, and it is only our third episode of the show, but in this calendar year so we'll call it excusable but i think there was a lot to be said about the past few games that we've played the past few matches that we've you know petered out into nothingness for so yeah shout out to no points and no podcasts for mac hopefully um my my inclusion will will inspire a turnaround against palace this saturday um where you alfie will not be watching because you're going to be tearing up the slopes uh in in austria which should be a blast man i'm a little jealous um but yeah and yeah sounds like a yeah flight fly tomorrow yeah. yeah flying tomorrow from heathrow uh got a stop off in copenhagen on the way unconventional route but uh british airways cancelled our flight last minute so we had Classic. to scramble for another one yeah um but yeah first time in austria so i'm looking forward to that uh but that is not relevant to the listener. Um but at all. I guess it kind of reflects uh what this podcast might be, kind of, in a way. And it's a classic interlull. Obviously, no game to discuss. Having said that, the last few interlull podcasts we've done, it's always an international break. And obviously there is international football going on, two international tournaments actually. Um, but it's not an international break in the sense that uh the Premier League has stopped and football uh, and, uh, you, you know, European foot, international football is happening. Um, and normally we title it Into Dull Podcast because it's a bit dull. Um, but I don't think we will this time because I haven't. it hasn't felt dull because the Premier League has stopped. And I'm actually going to give a bit of credit to the Premier League for this sort of new winter break thing. We had it in the 1920 season and then I think COVID and then World Cup year and stuff has sort of disrupted the ability to have this have this winter break voices going um but i quite like how they've got sort of five fixtures on one weekend and five fixtures on the next weekend so we don't actually get a break in premier league football and all those fixtures are televised so it's quite nice um in that aspect and obviously the players get a two-week break they're out in dubai um and i think me and rob last episode were saying oh we'll be talking about transfers and do a bit of trivia on the next pod there is literally no transfer news to discuss. Like, I've seen a few very half-hearted rumours. I saw the Onana one was going around a bit, but then the reputable sources basically said that was just uh, agent talk. Um, I mean, there's obviously the stuff about Tony, but I don't think that's going to happen. It does look like nothing's going to happen. Um, so we don't really have tr anything to discuss on that sense, on that side of things. There isn't really any news. Um, I'm going to come to you in a sec, Mac, about any potential news or yeah, no worries. Want to mention, but um, 
there's basically, yeah, no transfer news. And I guess Arteta went to Salt Bay's restaurant. That's, that's something. Um, but we reckon Finton's frolic will, will um, digest that piece of monumental news that was circulating. Um, and so, yeah, as a result, we thought it'd be a good time to do another power rankings. We did do one about three, four weeks ago, uh, just before Christmas. But we thought... You know, a lot's happened since then, and it's always nice to just do a bit, do a bit of general football chat about our rivals. So we're going to do another power rankings. It'll be a bit more brief because we've got trivia returning after the drunk cast, and we've had some some uh, calls for trivia to be made more frequent on the show. So we thought, got a bit of time in this week, why not? But uh, yeah, before we do get into that, all of that stuff, Mac, is there anything you thought that was worth noting about? Arsenal and just general news at the moment. I feel like I've been out of the Twitter sphere a bit, so I haven't really yeah. been paying attention to if there has I been mean, news. I like that you're assuming that I've been on the Twitter sphere, which I have. Um, and honestly, there's been nothing. So in like general Arsenal news headlines across the board, the only other transfer link I can think of is to Borja Mayoral. Um everyone will say i say everyone like the sun and the mirror and the really not reliable spanish outfits were like yeah arsenal bid 22 i think it's getafe where he plays now yeah getafe want 32 million and yada 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 it's not happening it's a silly deal um good player Borjamayoral, young ish clinical striker but He's about the sixth best Spanish striker I can think of. So he's not exactly the type of profile who we'd be going after. And, you know, our money could be used on actual players who could help our squad. Um, I, I don't think he's much the, better um, than Ketia, Like, Yeah, that, I, I yeah. saw that rumor, actually. There has been the links to Fenerbahce guy, the fullback. Yeah, um, and he's... But I the, the links are about the same strength to like him and Hato, the uh, the Ajax kid. They're both kind of in the similar mold. They've got a lot of potential. Um, Hato, because of his technical quality, the Fernabache kid, literally forgetting his name, because he's just kind of a physical specimen. He's really aggressive. He's a lot of fun. Uh, both would be great profiles in like a year, but I don't think Mikel Arteta is going to punt kind of meaningless cash into things that can't currently support what we're trying to build. Um, which is to say, actually bringing in players with like experience and, you know, players who are not diamonds in the rough to resurrect one of this podcast's favorite phrases when it comes to looking at transfers. Um, yeah, I there's nothing on that front. In other news, um, there's there's fun times on the Arsenal women's side of things. They've been back to winning ways. Um uh, Alessia Russo was part of the the Five best Watford, FIFA Pro World it? Eleven. Was that five one against Watford? Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five one against Watford in the Women's FA Cup, and Alessia Russo was part of the world's best eleven uh, selected for the women this year, which is really cool. And also, we've signed Emily Fox, who's an American wingback. Who I, I mean, I'm a Yank, and I love the US Women's National Team, so like, very close to my heart, but. Uh, an an area of weakness in the Arsenal women's squad that's been addressed by Jonas Adebal, and um, she's a baller, like absolute hooper. So very excited to see her fill that squad um, for any of those interested in coming to the Arsenal, effectively an Arsenal men's podcast to listen to me natter on about the women's team who are balling. Um, they, unlike us, have actually managed to get a win in the No More Red kit. Shout out to them. 
Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of it in terms of news. It's been dry, and I think our our manager has not necessarily helped with that, given that he's been shooting down any transfer rumors left, right, and center. Um, any other interesting things in the world of football? I don't know. Jose Mourinho got fired. That's one last one. Um, despite having won over 50%, uh, sorry, I think it's 48% of the games that he coached at Roma and taking them to their first trophy in however long, they fired him because they're ninth in the league and not playing well. So shout out to Jose for being gone again. Uh, he'll be missed in Italy. Those fans really loved him. So that's, that's like all I've got for, for soccer news. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to comment generally. <laughs> I was going to comment generally about the transfer window. I think what's happening is Premier League, obviously we've seen the points deduction given to Everton. But we've also seen the breaches um, of profit and sustainability rules from Nottingham Forest and Everton again. But is and it, but is it not the same breach for Everton? Because it's a I different committee. I haven't but looked it's, too much it's into it. It's for the it, one they but... admitted to. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, like Apparently I know there's a possibility yeah. of further points deductions later in the season. For, um, why there's no anyway well i think what's happening and and we're seeing so much more reporting on ffp and how clubs can't spend and newcastle fans are all of a sudden are fuming that they can't just spend unbelievable amounts just because of the richest club in the world the same thing they would be going at manchester city for in previous years um and i know man city have got away with it but it looks like they might not because and more news today was um is it Richard Scudamore? It might be him. I don't know if it's still him. Apparently, I haven't seen the news Premier League chief, about. Premier League <laughs> chief executive. He said that um, they've set a date for the Man City hearing. But I think what is this is doing is teams are more cognizant of FFP and they've seen now that there's been a... And I think it was a good statement the Premier League made by, um, by imposing that 10-point deduction on Everton because it is, appears to have set a precedent to say if you do breach FFP, you are going to be punished. And now clubs are a lot more reticent to spend and, and, and making sure they are within these um, rules that are set up. And it's had an effect on this window because nothing's being done. The only club that have made any moves of note are Tottenham because they received a huge amount of money for Harry Kane, pure profit on their books because of obviously an academy player in the summer. And they've got the money left over from that to reinvest. And they've signed Timo Werner on loan, obviously. And then the Radu guy, what's his name? Dragus, Radu Dragusin. Yeah, he's, yeah. He was actually someone that was linked to us in the summer um, and to a lot of teams because he's, he's quite good. But he's essentially a Christian Romero regen that looks a bit like Demogoy Vida and also a little bit like Luke Ayling. So, if that's a reference that is, for you, I don't that know. Is a great, <laughs> that is a great re reference. Now, well, now you say I can, I can see it. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. He's basically got Demogoy Vida's head of hair and Luke Ayling's chin. So, I don't know, man. That's all so got, random, but, but it is. Yeah, he, he basically he plays a bit like Christian reference. Romero. He's really aggressive. Um, which well, that's a good signing for them. Then, yeah, exactly. they kind of need... They just need more depth there. They've lost Dyer, obviously. Um, oh, oh no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, in fairness, that's another academy player for them, isn't it? So it's still pure profit. But I'll yeah. say on the on no, those well, lines no, they well. signed him from Sporting Lisbon when he was oh, like right, they did. 19 well, or something. Yeah, but wouldn't he still count as homegrown, which does actually take part probably... of FFP, if not the whole thing? Yeah, maybe. Because maybe. He, he was oh, a certain yeah, amount of games under 22 or whatever it is. Yeah, whatever the fucking yeah. level. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, not to ramble on about Eric Dyer, but yeah, mm-hmm. shout out Tottenham for actually getting stuff done. Timo Werner was back to his best against United. I'm not sure if you saw. I mean, uh, shooting was was funny. It was sort of reminded <laughs> me of Chelsea mean. days. Like, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was one anyway. way he dragged it miles wide, one way he skied it. But he is a threat with his pace on that side. And I do, yeah. I do think it's a smart-ish shining in terms of covering for well, Son. I'd also say and, and, he's also been yeah. Son's been injured for so long too. Like he's been he's been on like a Ben White level of dealing with a hamstring problem. And like if Werner's good at one thing, it's finishing cutbacks, and that's what they keep creating for Son. So anyway, I'm gonna stop rambling. But let's let's crack into the the power yeah. ranking. I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that sort of nicely moves us on because um, maybe the transfer window will be a speaking point um, for some of these teams. I'm going to kick us off with, and by the way, for people who haven't listened to a Schadenfreude Power Rankings episode previously, we basically go through the top eight we perceive to be the top eight. Obviously, you could say Brighton and West Ham deserve a place in there, but we're not going to discuss them. It's the top six uh in brackets, top six and Newcastle and Aston Villa have worked their way in in the last sort of 18 months. And we're going to sort of rank them based on where we think they are at the moment. Not necessarily what the table says, but what we think their sort of state of the club is and, and projections into the future for the rest of this season. Um, I'm, I'm going to firmly say the team that aren't bottom, um, I think they're seventh, but for me, our bottom of these power rankings, and that's Manchester United by a country mile. And I think we had the same last time. I, I watched that. Right, yeah. I've been on I three of these, haven't I? There we go. Anyway, continue. Yeah, yeah, you have. Uh, and I think in every t- pretty much every time we've had United at the bottom. I watched that Spurs game. shit, mate. They, they are terrible. And I was like, I wasn't that imp- Like, I think Spurs were overpraised, but. Spurs looked like a team that had a clear identity and system in place, and maybe they were missing some of the, you know, midfield staples that make that system really work, and some of the forward players that make that system really work. But you could see what they were trying to do, and and you know, if they'd had a few more of those key players that they needed, you know, the likes of Basuma and Madison and Son and Kulisevsky, maybe they would have blown that Manchester United team away that looked dreadful, to be honest. Who on the complete flip side, look like an absolutely messed team. The press is woeful. It's so incoherent. Uh, just an absolute mess. They don't defend very well. Their centre-backs are poor on the ball, apart from Lissandro's coming back, or they lack uh, mobility in Harry Maguire, if he's fit, or Johnny Evans, who's been playing. Obviously, Martinez came on in this game. The midfield, I mean, they've they've got Kobe Mainu, who is a good prospect, but he's being left out to dry. You can't put him alongside a 58-year-old Christian Eriksen, who looks completely finished. Um, and then Bruno Fernandes, who, yes, he's probably their best player. But for me, I'm more and more, I watch this United team, I'm getting the feeling that there are sort of comparisons to be made between him and, like, the sort of Ozil Aubameyang in our really bad teams. Like, in terms of the petulance and perhaps the character, do they need to move on from him eventually, even if he is potentially their best player? Is he the best player to create a team, even though his individual quality is brilliant? There's just so many, so many issues, and we, we've spoken about it before, but I think they'll finish in the bottom half. Uh, I think their metrics are terrible. They're terrible in the eye test. Hoyland's bad, genuinely. Like, obviously, there's a bit of 
raw talent there, but it's, he's not been good this season. Mate, that um, finish though, can we discuss his goal at least? Lovely finish. Like, it was a good finish, but I, yeah. I don't think he's I don't like that's his second Premier League goal, and yeah, he doesn't get chances, he doesn't get shots off. Yeah, uh, we'll go ahead about Manchester United because I know you're pretty, you're nah, pretty uh, I mean, outspoken about how bad they are. Well, they're horrific, and and I don't say that lightly. Um, they rely on the luxury of having borderline world class talent in a few positions to save them in way more occasions than are necessary. Um, on Fernandez, I, the Premier League at you know the halfway point of the season, and then at the end of the season, will release their little numbers for like who's had the most tackles. It's obviously Joao Palinha. And, you know, who's covered the most distance, who's got the best top speed, who's taken the most shots, created the most chances. Um, the player who has covered the most distance and created the most chances is Bruno Fernandes. And that looks awesome for Manchester United until you remember that whenever Bruno gets mad, he basically just runs around like a chicken with his head cut off and disrupts their entire press just by trying to take shit over and, like, you know. Yeah, you you compare him... To sorry to interrupt. No, no, please, you, you right? him to uh, Odegaard in our system and the way Odegaard yes. leads and dictates that press. Whereas Bruno, it's like clueless running about, um, and obviously he's not paired with the greatest midfielders behind him generally. Well, but sure, but it's there's nothing sort of coherent and well structured about the way they press, and he just sort yeah. of is emblematic of that. And it's the same with his forward passing. Like, it's he is an unbelievable chance creator by virtue of he literally does not pass the ball backwards. Everything that he does is in a vertical direction because it's the only way he knows how to play. He's, you know, direct and forward thinking, and he does a really good job of releasing players in wide spaces and cutting the lines. And we all know his quality in those moments. But... I would honestly suggest part of the reason they're struggling to unlock Hoyland is simply just because they are not providing him with service that fits his play style. Like, they're not providing him with anything to feet. It's a lot to his head, and it's a lot of through balls, and it's a lot of half chances. And, you know, they're, they're kind of... Ten Hag has been alternating with this weird system that's sort of like... Like at Ajax, for example, he was known for, like the 442 diamond right with like Frankie and Ziyech kind of playing narrow as a second striker and Donny van de Beek playing up top and you know having his team rotate and having a pretty narrow fluid structure and in the lack of wingers um that they currently have shout out to Anthony for dealing with personal issues for his last few exclusions from the squad um not sorry cuz he you know I we don't need to go into it he's a scumbag um but realistically, they have no wide players, they have no width in their team, and they're kind of artificially trying to generate it with weird tactical setups and playing Aaron Juan Basaka as a really advanced left back. And that I was mean, so it, weird. Yeah. Like it just seems like Ten Hag is the wall and seeing what sticks. Like it's odd. Exactly. That's what that felt like. Like they've done Juan Basaka at right back and Dallow at left yeah. back, which makes more sense because Dallow is the more technically right. astute player. Who is and potentially he's remotely two-footed. Like, like Wamba exactly. has no struggles on his right foot, technically. Yeah. Like we know we know everything about his brilliant one-on-one defending, but in possession, he is poor. And putting him on his weaker left foot, I don't really get it. And I was thinking, is he trying to negate 
like a brilliant Spurs winger on that side. And maybe if Kulisevsky had been fit, it'd be a case for that. Like a one-on-one defender yeah, to shut not, Kulisevsky yeah, down. Kulisevsky it was it was Brennan Johnson on the right in this game. And Brennan Johnson is bad, in my yep. opinion. And he was he was dreadful in this game. Well, um, I quite like Brennan Johnson. But like, do you need to put a, a brilliant isolated one-on-one defender on Brennan Johnson for, to the detriment no. of everything else in terms of build-up? That just felt like, as you were saying there, and Hog just trying to find something, but everything feels like a desperate ploy. He had the, the period where he was playing McTominay basically as a second striker because it was their only goal threat, uh, even though he not offers absolutely nothing else. Um, I feel like some of the players have slightly turned on him. They're not playing for him. I look at Marcus Rashford, and that's how I feel about Rashford. He doesn't look like he's playing with the same fire he had last season. Um just yeah it's just an absolute mess obviously a lot's going on off the pitch i think this season is basically a write-off for them um and yeah i think they'll do well to finish 10th genuinely i I look at that team and i think it's just woeful performance after woeful performance i think chelsea at home when they absolutely battered them and only somehow only one two one is like the one good united performance i've seen this season every other time i think this is so disjointed it's just incredible like how they can go come this bad after being somewhat competent last season any final well, words on I United? Think, yeah i would simply say that they aren't as competent as we thought they were last season given that they relied heavily on a player overperforming his expected goals by almost 10 like without marcus rashford last season they had they were toothless entirely um vout veghorst did not change that so yeah i think United are one of the squads probably most in need of rebuilding, but the only the only positives for United is that Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos have come in and bought stake in the club and are going to be investing, and hooray, congratulations, you've got owners with a little bit more money and who actually sort of know how to run a football club, although if you look at Nice, I would raise maybe some eyebrows about that right now because they were good last season, not so much this year. But I think... When that's like the positive that you're clinging to as a United fan, um, there's some questions to be asked. And it doesn't help that Mason Mount can't stay fit because I think actually he would go a long way to both correcting their deficiencies in possession play and also their deficiencies in pressing. He's a very good all-round I'm still not sure but... how... And we spoke about yeah. this when we did a, a shout-out and for the power rankings before the season. I'm still not sure how he fits into the team with Bruno Fernandes, how you compile a midfield like that. And I think that's the problem, just because, you know, who are you going to stick behind them? Kobe Mainu? No. Like, it's... um, Casemiro is always injured and is bad now. Well, he's... McTominay? He's old as hell. No, don't... don't That's a six. Lone six with Mount and Fernandes? That would be hilarious. I actually... I think there are a few midfielders I would want to have less as a lone six than Scott McTominay. He is good for yeah, one thing, and it's box crashing. That's the only yeah. thing he's good at. And he can win a header, but like the dude, the dude has less technical quality than a player that than Mo El Nani. I would rather have Mo El Nani as a lone six. Oh, at least Mo El Nani will give you continuity in possession. Exactly, full retention. It'll give McTominay the ball whilst being pressed in his own half, taking it off the centre backs. Yeah, that's just suicidal. He cannot turn away exactly. from a press and evade a press or play a line breaking pass. Uh, it's a shame. Um, yeah. I reckon we move on. United. Let's yeah. let's move on to seven. So, um, for me, seventh. 
So for me, this has changed from last time. And yeah. last time I backed this team a bit more. But then they've mm. just sort of continued and spiralled into some abysmal run. I think they've lost to Luton. Um, Luton, Forest at home. Uh, City just now. It's Newcastle. Sure. I think it's yeah. six defeats in their last seven Prem games, something like that. Like were, the, were they really, the ones really who I said were... Were they the ones who I were convinced were worse than you guys were saying they were in the last episode that we recorded? This? You were, to be fair. And I, I had. Right. Yeah. Then we all caveated it with they've just exactly. had loads of injuries, which they still have. Right. It, that, not... Their situation hasn't changed. They just look worse. Yeah, basically. And like their run has continued. Um, Like their bad run has continued to an extent. I was like, I couldn't even see it spiraling that bad. They're now sit 10th, I think. Um, like this underlying metrics are still like decent because they were good earlier in the season for a lot of it. It's still somewhat skewed by uh, the Sheffield United win, although they also now skewed backwards because they had that remarkable game against Liverpool where they absolutely destroyed and conceded like seven XG. Um, it was the most expected goals conceded by a Premier League team since statistics began to be recorded in I think two thousand and two. Yeah. And they so, did have two penalties, but yeah. I think even the non-penalty XG was like... Oh, it was, it was almost fucking tragic. Ever. It was tragic, yeah. yeah. I think it was like 0.2 XG off the highest ever. And to be fair to them, they almost got something against City. They were sort of... It was almost like a very good smash and grab performance, a couple of brilliant finishes, and City were kind of... Like, they controlled the first period, then they were a bit toothless, but eventually De Bruyne came on and just ruined the game. Um... But yeah, I just think <laughs> I think the only thing that's basically making them above United at this point is that at least they, when they have all their players fit, we know that there is a style of play that has been successful and can be implemented again. I do think, I said it last season, I thought Eddie Howe was over, being overrated because of the season he produced. And I think this season is showing that to some extent. I think there are limitations to what he can do. And I think for where they want that project to go, I think they'll need to make a managerial change at some point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of striking. You look at their their teams from each week and it's basically been the same 11 for like two and a half months in the Champions League as well when they were still in that competition. Um, and they were basically forcing Lewis Miley and Sean Longstaff uh, alongside Bruno Gomares been incredibly stretched i think kieran trippier has somewhat fallen off a cliff last season excellent i'm still i still think he's been good in possession but i think at some point you know the age curve is going to hit you and he's like what 33 and i think he, he's began to show that in the last few months well yeah because he's 33 issues around he's, he's 33 and has played every minute of football for newcastle i think almost so far this season like they've given him some small rest when they had a healthy Livermento and healthy left backs in different competitions. But like, yeah, to your point, you know, he's fallen off a cliff. Um, the people that said you could not rely on Fabian share last season have been proven correct. But more than anything, Botman's been injured as well. Yeah. And he's back. But again, a return from injury into a squad who like it sucks watching them play because it doesn't matter who they play. And this, you know, goes for Liverpool as well. Liverpool dominated them, but they still had looks and chances. They scored goal or a goal. I forget. I think it was just one, but they made it look like a game for 30 minutes. 
the depressing reality with Newcastle is that it is a 90-minute match, and their players, the entire crop of players that they currently have healthy, I don't think can put more than 55, 60 minutes in without just getting gassed because they have played every minute of every game for the last two months because there are no other options at the club. And it's dire, and it's slightly depressing, but uh, it's the truth. They just don't have the resources, uh, like physical, just human resources <laughs> to be able to continue a, to have so a successful run. I think that's a great point when you think back to when they were good, even yeah. earlier this season, but all of last season. Something they did every single game, and it's something I do have to give Eddie Howe credit for, and something I kind of wished Arteta did more of, was 55, 60, 65 minutes every single game. Look at their team sheets last season when they were winning games and look at the times they made subs and who they made subs for. It would be like two forwards off, two new forwards on, regardless of the personnel, regardless of how those forwards are playing. And every time it gave them a new lease of life after that sort of point. And they haven't had the luxury of that this season. And their scores become incredibly stretched because of the Champions League and because of the injuries. And that has hindered them. Which is yeah, why it's and, kind of still hard to rate them amongst some of the other teams, but I would but still again, have them in this position. Here's the thing. If I were to rate their entire squad, like if we were to set a hypothetical of assuming every team is completely healthy, I'd have them probably fifth at the lowest, maybe fourth. I think with a fully fit squad, they've got a lot to say, you know, and we questioned the Anthony Gordon, Gordon signing, right? But he kind of provided that crucial fulcrum for Alan St. Maximan to not rely on him all the time. They then brought in Harvey Barnes to do the same with Anthony Gordon upon selling St. Maximan. They've got two very good strikers in Callum Barnes Wilson been and Isak. All season. Exactly. And Callum Wilson's been injured for a lot of the season. Isak's been injured when he hasn't. Almiron can only do so much. They do need another right winger because Jacob Murphy's pants. But like between him and Joe Willick and Almiron, you can like cobble enough of something together to give Almiron a most of your minutes and just let whoever you put out there run, right? But the only substitute, I'm pretty sure the only substitute they had against City was Lewis Hall. Like, <laughs> what do you want from them at a certain point? You know what I mean? So were they healthy, they would be higher in the rankings. They just aren't. They're slipping because of it. They're not good enough to compete at the level that they essentially deserve to just because they don't have bodies. So... It's a shame, really. Like, I feel bad for having them this low, but there's no way to put them anywhere else. Yeah, and I kind of don't feel bad for them because remember the game against them and how their fans reacted? Well, fuck listen, um, I, like, fuck Newcastle, but I just, I see them play a game and actually play in a style that, like, works and is entertaining. You know what I mean? Like, as much as I really dislike them as a club, I actually don't mind watching them play football, which is the worst part about it. Like, I, I'm entertained by them. Which is why I think it's a shame because they're better than what their record is showing right now. Um, yeah, and now, uh, yeah, like this, this would be a team where we're like they desperately need some reinforcements in January to to you know revitalize their squad, um, their stretch squad. They need a midfielder because of Tenali's absence. Um, they could probably do with another defensive reinforcement. We've spoken about the right back issues, the centre backs. Um, as you said, another winger. The issue is they're now uh, restricted by FFP and somehow their fans are complaining about that. I don't think they've realized that 
you know, you went from like a team that was fighting relegation to a team that finished in the top four last season. I don't, I think it's very clear how you did that because you spent a lot of money on some great players. Um, a lot of good players. Like your score. I know that people always say stuff like, oh, you've still got Almiron and Joe Linton from the previous regime, Fabian Scher. But the bulk of that squad that is the good part of that squad has been purchased since the takeover. Um, so yeah, it makes sense that you can't just go, you know, ham and spend loads more money in this window. Um, so I think, yeah, I could see them ending up about seventh or eighth. Um, they could still turn it around and get into the top six, but I, I think they're very far off a top four place now. Who's next for you? For me, it's it's close between two sides, but I'm going to ask you who you think it is first. I don't know. Um, I'm going to say it's close. It's close between Chelsea and Spurs for me. Are those the same two you had in mind? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I'm probably still going to put Chelsea below Spurs. I think I'm putting Chelsea sixth. Um, I agree. And that's not yeah. how I had it last time. No. Literally like four weeks but ago. Like, but... I keep watching them struggle to a one nil win against Fulham. Um, again, I think it's just a question of identity, you know, like we've to an extent we've overhashed the money spent and the transfer outlay. And I think it's important to recognize where they've spent that money. Like for Todd Bowley to treat everything like it's a game of football manager. Um, has its detriments, has its downsides. There's not enough experience. There's no cohesion. There's no players that like each other. We've been over all this. What I think has really changed my mind is not only the fact that they're still continuing to get injured, which is setting them back further. Um, it's, again, a shame, not a shame for my fandom, but a shame for football that Christopher Nkunku has come back from such a nasty injury and is done in, like, I think his other hip a day after, you know, a game after he came back. Um in training, I think. But it's just, I don't know. They they are below Tottenham for similar reasons to why I don't think Manchester United are that good. Um, but almost to a more damning degree, I think Chelsea are a lot better than United. I think they have better players. But until they stop relying on Cole Palmer penalties, I will not see them as a true threat. Like, they are, in some ways what Manchester United were that season, I think it was 18, 19 or 19, 20 when the VAR rules basically had it that any marginal contact in the box would be a penalty. And United had like 15 of them. Yeah. That's Chelsea this season. Most of them are deserved in fairness. And I've done a little review of those just like personally, cause I was wondering about them, but at the same time, penalties are not a sustainable form of scoring goals. Shout out to us in like the first two months of this season when we found that out. And if those, if and when those dry up, I think Chelsea are really going to start struggling to win the games consistently that they should to be, you know, in the areas of the table where they are. And that's not to I mean, say they have, they're doing they very have well. mostly, yeah, they have mostly struggled to get. Yeah, wins. they're still they're still ninth. They're still ninth. Set on what nine wins, four draws, and eight losses. Like, yeesh. <laughs> it's it's not pretty. And they've spent a billion pounds on their squad. Billion, billion and a half, but like. 
But at a certain point, again, that's the thing about the transfer outlay. It's it's a funny number to throw around, but they've spent it uselessly. Like they've spent it on a bunch of young kids, most of whom are not going to be enough of a quality, even when they mature, to really play at a Premier League level for Chelsea. And that's that I think is the pro like th- this Chelsea project feels two to three years down the line from actually being competitive, just because they're gonna have to wait and wait and wait for all of their players to come good while their actual aging core of like decent players just, you know, probably dies out, whether it's Sterling or, uh, I mean, Sterling's the one that comes to mind. Thiago Silva's obviously going to be done, but they have enough freaking French center backs that they should be able to cover. But like, I don't know. There's just, there's no cohesion there. Um, Enzo Fernandez is a bright spark. Connor Gallagher has been their best player this season, which makes him look a lot like Palace. Oh, he was, years he back, was going to go to Spurs. Gallagher? That was, that was or, the rumor. Yeah, well, Gallagher. Yeah, there was a rumor that he were, was going to go to Arsenal sell him as well. There's for no... FFP reasons. Right. Which I think... No, but the Spurs one was like... No, the Spurs one was very no, developed. Uh, like Fabrizio yes. was talking about it. Yeah, and it was developed essentially because Chelsea weren't sure. Like, in the same round of sanctions that Everton and Nottingham Forest just got dinged on, there was like the big headline... Headline that Arsenal and Chelsea both passed their financial fair play regulations in the same time period. I think a lot of people are like asking questions about how the hell that happened to Chelsea, but I think Chelsea were like, if that's going to be a problem and we get told we got to, we got to sell Conor Gallagher. So yeah, that was like, that was their get out of jail free card and they don't need it effectively. That's what I was told. Uh, slash have heard. Yeah. And numbers still have Chelsea as a slightly better team than, what their league table position um, reflects. Uh, but we did speak about this on the last one. It kind of started with good metrics, uh, but they also had a very easy start in terms of fixture scheduling. Um, and then their metrics dropped off and it did sort of look like the early season um, run of performances, which were better than the results was a bit of a mirage and that's kind of shown um by recent displays not being quite as good and they just they just seem so inconsistent still feels like a mess of a team still feels like they're rotating so much that they it's kind of hard to see who is the who are the staples of that squad um and Cole, Cole Palmer's obviously stood out um, we spoke about Enzo's progressive passing but I think that he has limitations in other aspects of his game Arcedo's been bad Gallagher's been good but they want to sell him because they need to make money um, in terms of FFP and pure profit. I don't know. And Poch, still not completely sold on Poch. I think he's clearly, he was brilliant at Spurs, but then at PSG, meh. And I'm not, I'm not sold on his, on his ability to, coach a brilliant attack to be honest and I know Spurs are really good but I think they had like some absolutely exquisite they had like a peak Ericsson they had Son and Kane who were like two of the greatest goal scorers the league seen basically um, and finishers and they had Moussa Dembele in midfield who was like incredibly underrated one of the best midfielders in the world at that point like that team was really stacked and he's come to this Chelsea team it's, he's got a collection of young, talented, but raw players, and he hasn't been able to mould it particularly well as of yet. So I'm not completely sold on Poch yet still. I know he's still got a very good reputation, but what he's actually achieved doesn't really merit the reputation that he's garnered, in my opinion. Um, 
Anything else on Chelsea before we move on to Spurs? Nothing really on Chelsea, just a little bit on Pochettino. And the fact that, like, yeah, he was able to do a lot with Tottenham, but, like, let it, you know, he also, to an extent, um, I he he obviously wasn't coaching. I think he was still at Southampton when they got all the bail money in, if I'm right. Yeah, but... Yeah, that was pre-Poch. Yeah, definitely pre-Poch. But, like, at the same time, that, though it was a failed kind of thing... So many of those players happened in transfers and things going on that like he came into an active in basically into a club with, you know, 70 percent of its rebuild done, added a few pieces. But like, I remember that squad just being so small and tight that he was able to get the best out of players like Deli Alley. Right. He was able to work some of the magic that he does when he has, you know, a kind of a trimmed wage bill a trimmed budget a trimmed group that he can kind of all get to work in the same direction and i think that's the difference he's gone from a smaller outfit with some pretty clear goals to a superstar team with way too many egos and priorities to somewhere like chelsea where there's it's directionless like the thing that he needs most as a manager is direction and purpose and he'll apply himself to it Uh, throughout his career that's been the case and I think he's I think he's the right manager for this Chelsea team in two years. It's just a question of if they keep him around for that long. Um yeah. Because I, I actually I think the world of Mauricio Pochettino may like also because I've I have a soft spot for Southampton randomly. And I remember the work he did there and it was spectacular. So I you know, there I have a certain amount of belief there, but I don't know. At the same time, we'll see. Manage two of our biggest rivals, and you love them, Mac. I'm telling you, Mac is an Listen. under undercover Spurs Chelsea fan. What? That's just the narrative that we've mind. we've built along these Schadenfreude podcasts. You, well, let's move on to his previous club because this yeah, is, as we're saying, this is a club you've heavily praised in the past. Um, Judas Mac Johnson. I mean, in the past, like two, one, three months, because they're actually playing fun football. But well, let's let's talk about them. Like... For me. There's not much new to say about this Tottenham team based on what we said last time. I think they've found an identity. They've found a coach they can connect with. They've got some good players in there that they like now. Um, they've got the, they've finally sold Kane, who I think, whilst being brilliant, was a little bit of a shadow on the, on the squad and the fact that they've been able to recoup such big money and sort of redistribute that and rebuild um, what was you know, the end of that sort of team that a greatest team that didn't win anything. Um, and I understand why the fans are really on board based on what they've had to put up with in previous years in terms of, you know, the Conte, Nuno, Mourinho era's football, which was really drab. Um, and they are exciting to watch. I'll give it to them. Um, and I like how open they are and how vulnerable they can be defensively. Um, I still... What I'm saying is that the the principles and the identity are exciting and I like them and I think there is potential for it in the future, but I think at the moment it's still not great. Like, And that that's me, I'm saying that, but at the same point, we're basically saying they should probably finish about fifth in the league, which is a huge upgrade on last season, so you've got to give it to them there. But I don't know. Like, I watched the United game and I was thinking... 
you should roll them over. This is a dreadful United team and you're sort of looking relatively impressive but not doing that much in the final third. Um, yeah. How do you feel about Spurs at the moment? Because I know you, as I was saying, you love them. Um, so, yeah, and you love Ange. Um, so, yeah. Realistically, I, I, think it's, I think it's more that I'm an Ange fan because I fucking hate Spurs. Um yeah, I don't know. There's not much more to be said. Really, my big annoyance. Arsenal Vision has its has its uh closet Spurs yeah. fan in Scott. Yeah, so you enough. gotta take that role on this one. I'll I'll accept that, Bill. Um I, I think it's probably I'm probably the person on this podcast with the most Spurs supporting friends. I say this only because two of my best friends are Spurs supporters and it's infuriating. Got but, a couple. Yeah, anyway. Um point is to get back to basics. Uh, my, my, my biggest annoyance with Spurs is that they're not being exposed for their weaknesses regularly enough. Like, they continue just to get away with not playing as well as they should in order to win the games they're winning. And, yeah, I there's nothing I really have to say that I haven't said about them before. Maybe, you know, ooh, fun developments. Mickey Vandeven's back and they've got a new center back. Hooray. Um, I think we are seeing a lot of their players come to more what we thought they would be um i don't want to ever hear that destiny udogi is anything better than like a solid left back he's had a great like first two months and has been useless since um pedro poro is actually i think he's i think he's a good player but like i think there's a difference between that and everyone being like he's better than zinchenko he's oh, better oh, than oh yeah Robertson. i mean he's the yeah, let's, let's be let's be fair right. everything to do with this current Tottenham team exactly has been massively overblown Right, and that's the thing. They are media darlings at a certain point. And maybe that's my biggest frustration is seeing Tottenham just get lavished with praise for not really doing all that much well. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that one, like, the, the video uh, of, like, Ange's nine-man high line against Liverpool still lives rent-free in my head because he got praised for Chelsea. It's, it's, it's Chelsea then, sorry. Yeah. It's just bra- it's just brain dead. It's yeah. although it is it, it is at least something to be said that they're able to entertain. They've had a lot of big, really fun matches this year. Whether they go well for them or not, they they know how to have a good time. Let's let that not be said. Uh yeah, I really don't have anything else about Spurs. Like they're the same team as the last time we talked about them, and the only thing they've had is one of their center backs returning from injury and. Sun's missing for the Asia games. It won't really affect things generally. I think they've actually got a pretty easy run of it while he's gone, but we'll uh, we'll see how they go. Yeah, since we last spoke about them, I think their results have been quite good. I mean, I'm looking here. Since we last did a power rankings, they narrowly beat Everton in a performance, which I remember seeing Everton missed about three or four clear-cut chances the last 20 minutes. They should not have won that game. Um... And then they got destroyed at Brighton. And then they beat Bournemouth. And then they drew at United. So I think it is just They, they also beat, they beat Burnley in the FA Cup as well. Which, yeah, congratulations, and it's I know, Burnley. Yeah, and, and something... And, and that was like they scraped past them with a Pedro Porro screamer. I think what Rob went really big on in the last power rankings was concept that their squad is very thin once you take I think you said it as well once you take one piece of the jigsaw out that system crumbles to pieces and I think they've addressed that already a little bit I think 
on the left side, like they're, they're clearly going for Son down the middle because with his sort of diminishing pace, that makes sense. And he's been excellent in that position. Kulisevsky is the creative wide right player and they want a sort of pacey potential goal threat on the left. They've used Brennan Johnson there uh, early in the season. They used Mana Solomon a bit. Um, they've used Richarlison there and they've brought in Timo Werner. So Timo Werner adds someone who can fulfill that role. And they've also brought in the centre-back that I alluded to earlier. Uh, Dra- What's his name again? Dra- Dragsu. <laughs> I'm just going to let you struggle. It's Drag Dragusin, D-R-A-G-U-S-I-N. Brought in him, who, as you said, is a good foil for Romero. So they actually have some centre-back depth. So that it doesn't all fall apart if Romero or Van der Ven are unavailable. And given Romero's suspension record, that's quite likely to be the case very often. Um, I think they need more depth at fullback. I think they've got two fullbacks who really suit the system. But after that, it's Emerson Royal, Royal Ben Davies. So... There's, there's struggles there. I do think it's still a team lacking depth, but I do think the system's promising and as they add more players to that squad who suit what and just trying to do, they're going to be better and better. But at the moment, it does still feel quite fragile. Anyway, let's move on from that horrific football club. Um, and I feel like we'll have less to say about Liverpool and City just because there's not much to critique there. But Aston Villa... For me, clearly the fourth best team in the Premier League at the moment. Still overhyped, let's be honest. Like just because they are in t- within touching distance of the title doesn't mean their performances actually merit that position. Um we know about Emery. We know that this will probably drop off. I think it already has started to to an extent. Um, looking at their recent results, that uh, they drew with Everton in a pretty underwhelming game this weekend. Um they scraped past a 10-man Burnley with a late penalty, I think it was. Uh, before that, threw away a two-goal lead at a terrible, against a terrible United team. Um, and then before that, they drew with Sheffield United. And that's what's happened since we lasted a power ranking. So I think the wheels have started to come off to an extent. I think they were overperforming. I still think they're a good team. But yeah, any, any additional words on uh, Aston Villa? No, other than the fact that Unai Emery is always bound to Unai Emery. Um, there's nothing quite like a run of wins and draws and not losses for Emery to just cement a nice little drop-off. Um, yeah, I think there's a clear gap between them and Spurs in terms of quality. They're much better than Spurs. Um, I also think there's a pretty clear drop in quality from them to the top three, being us, Liverpool, and City, though... Um, my rankings may have changed slightly since uh, since last podcast because I think our, our my position for Arsenal is going to have changed. Um, I think we're closer to them than we were last time we did these power rankings. So that sucks. But um, that's just because we can't score goals. No, but to actually talk about Villa, they are getting found out a little bit, I think, is the other thing. Like, teams have figured out the ways that they like to progress the ball, which is really slow and measured through their back four and then they basically just play triangle one twos to try and get it into space out wide and hit opponents on the break after they've suckered them in and teams have really figured out that if you just like clog up the middle for longer than 15 seconds and not let them get those like very quick fire one two three passes off that they can't create chances through the middle and revert to just trusting the fact that they've got some decently quick players along the outsides which 
can work, but they, like most Emory teams to ever exist, are still a little too dependent on um, beautiful passages of play, a little bit of luck, and a lot of transition football. They've scored a lot of goals off of turnovers and bad moments and in kind of moments of transition, and they're very good at that. But it's, again, their actual ability to create chances in consistent buildup against the low block is so bad. Um, if they can't cross, they're useless. And they can cross for sure, but like, there's a certain point at which that's just not going to work anymore. So, yeah. Um, Villa, I think, if if teams start giving Villa the treatment that they are giving us, um, and Statistic, by the way, do have it, that we face the lowest blocks of any team in Europe, true story, um, if teams start giving Villa that treatment, I think they're probably going to finish about ninth. But they won't because it's Villa. So realistically, I think they're probably the fourth best team in the league right now in terms of quality, results, and just like the way that they're playing, their style of play. They they are convincing to me in terms of having an, at least a solid identity. But they're not perfect. That's about all I have to say. Yeah, and I think teams have started to work out how to exploit the space they leave in behind like there was record numbers of like offsides uh that they provoked against them because of their high line um up until when they played us and then since then i think teams a bit more they're a bit more careful and considered when making those runs in behind i think teams are going to explore that more and more as they work out the sort of mechanics of that back four and how to time your runs perfectly to get in behind because the space is there um, and Newcastle did it on the first game of the season when they thrashed them 5-1. Um, and if more teams can replicate that performance, I think they're in trouble. But yeah, good team with good players. We've spoken about other midfielders stacked with good options. McGinn, Kamara, Douglas Louise, Jacob Ramsey, Tielemans. Um But we've also spoken about how vulnerable they would be um, if Ollie Watkins was to get injured. Um, because... He is like they have to revert to John Duran. So, and they've John still got Durand. two competitions to fight yeah. for. They've got the Europa League, the Europa Conference League as well. So, John Duran might be like in five years. I think he's going to be a streets never forget kind of player. Um, he gives me that vibe. <laughs> he's he's got this ability to just produce chaos. Like it doesn't matter whether he's scoring an absolute late screamer or like elbowing people in the head and getting yellow cards or just charging around. He scored he has... an unbelievable goal earlier this yes. season. Was he against Palace? He like traps it in his chest. And yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a ridiculous finish. And like, he's got a few for them. Mainly he's just a little decoy runner to let their other players score. Cause he's big and annoying, but like that man has no composure anywhere in his body. Like, Jefferson Lerma is a walking yellow card and, you know, Anthony Gordon and Connor Gallagher kind of are approaching that stage. I think John Duran might be another player I'm going to add to that list soon because he just, he's like 15 minutes every match for them of unbridled chaos. And I really enjoy watching it because I think it's funny, but like it's, he's just so not a good replacement for Ollie Watkins. Yeah, it's. Although I'm also entertained that there was ever a debate between Watkins and Danny Ings that Ings was being preferred for a while in that system. Um, yeah, anywho, now he's barely yeah. playing West Ham. Anyway, yeah, he's I think shy. we we broke down Villa 
uh, in a bit more yep. detail on the last Schadenfreude podcast. So if you want to listen to that, I think it's episode 197. But we'll move on. Um, we don't really include Arsenal in these power rankings, but last time I had us top, and I think I justified it pretty well. I'm going to say we are below Manchester City, but I'm still going to have us above Liverpool. Um, I think we were unlucky at Anfield uh, to draw that game. I think maybe it was a fairish result, but I think generally we contained them so well and we looked like the more threatening team. We were the team pushing for the game. And I think we outplayed them for most of the FA Cup game. Uh, we got a bit unlucky towards the end of that. Yes, they have a frighteningly good attack, but I still think there's more stability in our midfield. I think we're harder to play through and create chances against, even if they're a bit more frightening. And I think that is, I think we are going to be set up to finish the season more strongly than them. That's my inclination. City, unfortunately, they've weathered the storm without Haaland and without De Bruyne for several months. And even they had a few games without Rodri and managed to sort of basically still stay, you know, in the race and, and on pace with us and Liverpool. And now they've got their players back and De Bruyne came on and I got sort of traumatised <laughs> that Newcastle game when he came on. Because I suggested in the last power rankings that maybe he comes back and the age curve starts to him a little bit. And even if he's, you know, obviously he'd still be a great player if he's, if he's slightly declining De Bruyne. But I was like, maybe, maybe he doesn't hit the ground running. Maybe these injuries will catch on with him and it will start to decline a bit. No sign of that in his in his game back against Newcastle. He looked absolutely unbelievable. Brilliant goal, brilliant assist. And it is a bit ominous the way Man City are looking in recent form. And it does feel like they could be sort of beginning one of their infamous long runs of brilliant form. So that is an issue. But how do you feel about the top three balance uh, briefly, Mac? Ah, uh, it's depressing. I actually, I do... It's crazy the way that I think I'm going to put us third, but I think I'm going to put us third. Um, I get it, but I'm not prepared to move no, that much based on three weeks um, and no, one but, bad performance to three but, bad but, results. But put it this way. Last time, last time did I have City first or Liverpool first? I think I had City first, right? I think I we City. all had City above Liverpool. Yeah, I thought so too. City are still top. City are still the best team in the league. I, you know, run of form notwithstanding. Yeah, De Bruyne looked good. Um, I said this last time too. They're more beatable than they've ever been. They are more susceptible to losing games in stupid ways than they've ever been. They look worse than they have in the last couple of seasons. They're still better. Um, the only reason I'm putting Liverpool above us, and there's one reason, and it's literally just because they've only lost one game all season. And it was the one to Spurs that they shouldn't have lost and got fucked by VAR. Um, the fact that that's the only time they've dropped, like, and like, you know, listen, they've had a fair few draws. They've had results that haven't gone their way. Everyone has, right? But to say that they are on 13 wins, six draws, and one loss, and the one loss they did not deserve to lose, that to me, I, you know, I still hold the same opinion of them as a team as that I did. In fact, I'm still tempted to put them below us because Salah's gone for AFCON and Trent's now injured. They're missing key pieces. They're not as good at football as us or City. 
but I think they might just be better at winning games. And that's kind of what scares me, you know, is... The thing is, it's only yeah. a five-point gap. It's only a five-point gap, yeah, and that can swing. It is. That can but swing like, in a game yeah. or two. Like, their, their next two games, I think they've got Bournemouth away without Salah. Bournemouth are in very good form. They're like a competent team. Okay, you'd still yeah. expect Liverpool to win it, but you never know. And then they've got Chelsea at home. The potential for some drop points there. No well, Salah Ch- or Chelsea Trent. Have a ha- yeah, Chelsea have a weird habit of bringing good performances to teams away grounds when they shouldn't. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'll be, a, it'll be interesting to watch Liverpool to see where it goes. I, again, I, I just to reiterate, they are a worse football team than us. They do not play football as well as Arsenal. With that said, they, I think are just, they, I, I, I don't know if it's, they're grittier or they just have whatever stupid aura about them that, they kind of had in those seasons where they were up there competing with City, but there is a palpable feeling of momentum around Liverpool that I think does not exist around Arsenal right now, and that is the only reason I'm putting them above us because we are a better football team, but they are better at being title contenders. Like what? Where I'm gonna you know, disagree yeah. though is I completely agree that the feeling around that club at the moment is you know there's a lot of momentum there and there's there's a good feel factor because they've been in a great run of form but that that is form like the form dictates that and that can change within a couple of results and i think you might be underrated like i think they're very close to us in terms of football i think their attacking talent carries them and makes them absolutely brilliant i think we are better structured i think we control matches better and i think we're harder to create chances against but we speak about our lack of you know incision and ruthlessness in the final third and that's what they have in abundance and when you have that the other things become less relevant because you can stick the ball in the back of it at a freakishly good rate so yeah right um so is that you pushing back on what i'm saying but agreeing that liverpool are better or what's so no no, no. I, so i do agree yeah. with your like your core principle and mm-hmm. and uh argument there i'm just saying I think it's really close, and I agree. I, and, but also, I think that your point on the sort of momentum thing—I I agree with it. But I think that can change it, within a matter of weeks. So yeah, like of course it can fluctuate with form. That's how football works. But I think my my entire point is that we are the one team. They're they are the one team who we've not seen go through a spotty or losing run of form yet this season, right? And I don't think their metrics are bad enough to suggest that that will happen is essentially where I'm that's the one thing I kind of meant to say is that like yeah that's a fair point to to an extent they they win the war of attrition but just like, because they're going to Austin City's but... metrics suggest that we'll never really go through bad runs of form and it happens because and football we do. you know variants yeah, but... and stuff so and that's the thing yeah, at one but, point but they think... are going to lose another game of football well, or maybe sure. two so I think it'll all equal out. The fact that it is a five-point gap is, again, fair to note. The fact that I did just realize that we're tied on points with Tottenham, which hurts my soul. But I, have to, I haven't even... I've been oh, looking at the game table for like an hour. Yeah. I know it's all right. When, when we get to like March, there'll be miles behind us. No, exactly. And I, I'm trying not to mention the game in hand because last season we talked way too much about games in hand and then lost them all. Um, <laughs> so, you know... Let's. I. I'm. I. I think just superstitiously, I'm just trying to look at points for points' sake. But 
yeah, I think I think I'm still gonna put Arsenal third, which is a little depressing for me. But I think like again, it's not overall; it's in this moment, right? All three clubs playing their best football. I think we're up there with City, and we're better than Liverpool, but we're not. And I think that that's that's my little point of recognition. Yeah, fair enough. And maybe I should be putting us third because it is about literally in the moment how we feel when and yeah. But I'm still going to back us and put us second. Anyway, uh, we are an hour through um, and we haven't gotten to trivia. And we're supposed to be doing a brief power rankings. But this is what happens when we do it's power It's never rankings. brief, we just, is it? We just, we just we love waffle. talking about, you know, general football stuff. Which is why I enjoy these podcasts. I put it as podcast of the year and not drunk cast. Anyway, let's do the trivia. Um, because we know everyone enjoys that. Um, and I'll probably put a timestamp uh, in, in the notes um, of when the trivia starts. About an hour and five minutes. Uh, if you haven't listened to a trivia episode before, what are you doing? Um, but we did it on the episode 200 drunk cast. Still go and listen to that because it is timeless. It doesn't matter when you're listening Quality to it. Quality piece of podcasting. It is brilliant. Um, basically, we each have three players that have played for Arsenal at any point in history, although none of them. Daniel did put a did include a player who played in like the 1910s uh but we're not going to be most of us do not stretch that far back we have three facts about each of them if you get it on the first fact you get three points second fact two points and third fact one point a total of nine points available i hold the record uh shout me uh for eight points uh, i thought back, rob got know. eight during the drunk cast no I we both got seven should... i'm pretty sure uh no fair yeah you might be right yeah um Oh, yeah. And, Ignore me. Yeah. Mac has had one appearance in trivia and he managed a stunning one. So, <laughs> both I was very drunk at the time, but do you, I can't do you have that start, then? use. Uh, yeah, do you want to yeah, alternate? Do you want to alternate? Yeah, sure. Do you wanna, yeah, so, do you want right. to try and improve on your. Yeah, your come on, one? then. Give it to me. I'll give, give you me. my first player, then. So, if you get this, then, yeah. This guy made. This <laughs> card one. He made just nine appearances for the club in the 90s uh, and went on to play at every level from the Premier League to the conference. <laughs> Fucking what? In the 90s? Well, that's that's me done already. Um, nine appearances. Nine appearances. He played at Is... every level. I think you may underrate the amount that Americans have knowledge of English football overall. Um, name from the 90s. Fucking Ray Parler. I know it's not. Just keep going. I've, uh, I'm never going to get it on that. Uh, I'm well aware. I'm well aware. I'm well aware. That's a shocking Come show. Come on. I, I um, literally don't think I can. Ugh, anyway, continue. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you get that. Second fact, this guy pursued media studies after his career. Um, and started Great. as a journalist at the South End Evening Echo. Good for him. Uh, which <laughs> means he's probably London-based. Uh, South End's in Essex. Is it? Yeah. So, well, is that not like a southwest? No, that that is it's southeast of London, it's but it's east, not part uh, of London, right? It's, it's uh, it? east of London. Yeah. 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 No, it's not. No, it's a county. I didn't. Th- yeah. I know. I know it's a county. Yeah. I'm not that bad. I just. Um. I. Uh, let's think. South End. I literally. You know. I only. I'm. I'm just gonna waffle to save time because I don't know who this is. Um. I. 
only hear of South End because a bunch of like Arsenal fans that I interact with regularly are like South End United fans, and their their clubs in quite a poor spot right Shout now. Out anyway, Shout out James Whiffing. Shout out James Whiffing. Um, but I also think AFC James is like somehow embroiled in that whole. Like I've, I feel like I've seen him tweet about it. I He's from why. like uh, like Derby, I think. Mm. Well, yeah. that's awesome. that's what he said when um, I met him. So. Very cool. Shout out to you meeting AFC James. Um, still got nothing on my mind. Nah, I'm literally just not going to say anything. What's the third clue? I I don't have hey, a Jason guess. Crowley. What was that? Jason Crowley. You'll say that. Yeah. What it? What? Is that just who? Huh? What are you? What are we? Is that who he is? That's that's no no. That's the the guy that Daniel always needs to know about what? this. He, they, that's no. iconic for this podcast. That's the guy well, that Daniel yeah. always says. He doesn't know. He just made up a guy. That's hilarious. He thought Jason he was a real guy. Jason when he first is my second guess. Keep on then. It's fucking Mila Yednak. Okay. That's who it's going to be. Keep going. And he never. He literally never <laughs> uh, personal. No. Uh, third, third, third fact. Uh, right. This guy is regularly a match analyst and presenter for Arsenal's YouTube content. Is it Adrian Clark? Yeah. Oh, lovely! I'll take a point for Adrian Clark. It's funny. I um, <laughs> not not to say this is as like an Arsenal fan. I actually really dislike Adrian Clark. Like he annoys me. So uh, it's funny. I didn't get that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why he annoys me. I love me, him. But... He's been on Ars- Arsenal Vision and Arscast. Yeah. I know. He's, he's a, he's a great podcaster. I think he just, he used to do like the breakdown for on the Arsenal app. And that was the only access I had to him. And it was annoying. He still anyway, does that. I yeah. literally, have I think that. he's good. Yeah. I think he's good. He's I, I decided, sure. like, I remember watching something. Yeah. Like one of the breakdowns or something, and I was like, "I'm gonna do him because most people that's don't right. know anything about his career because he barely played yeah, for I'd, us." I had no clue he played for us. I knew you anyway, get him cool. on the third one. I knew yeah, you get him go. on the third one. Well, um, I'm glad I got him on the third one. That's a he's point. had like we're, a we're, full we're on. Than what? I can't rate him because he basically had mm-hmm. no, did not to like downplay his career. Obviously, he yeah, became a professional footballer. That's incredible. But he didn't that's have big. much of a professional career. And then right. he just became like a full-on sports journalist. Like he did degree in media studies. No, he's, he did. He's crushing it. I, I four, think four, I, I could have gotten it based off of media studies. In fairness, only because like if they're a journalist now. But yeah, I think there's so yeah. many ex-Arsenal players who are now like pundits and journalists and writers that it's hard. But well, shout! I I walked past Martin Keown the other day in Oxford. Well, did Incredibly you? Incredibly random. Yeah, I put it yeah, in the chat. Yeah, you put that in the chat. Yeah, remember that. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I literally, player. he was miles, miles away from me, and I was like, yeah. the guy walking towards us looks kind of like Martin Keel. And we got a bit closer, and I looked at him, and I heard him speaking to the woman next to him, presumably his wife, and he, it was like, that's literally Martin Keown. And then yeah. I looked it up, and it says he lives around Oxford, so. That's quite cool. Yeah. There you go. Anyway, All right. one point. Uh, one point for Mac. Uh, Alfie, your first player. Uh, at one point, during my football career, not necessarily playing for Arsenal, I have won the Champions League. Uh, go David Luiz. It is not David Luiz. Um, across my 87 Arsenal appearances, clue number two, I scored 28 goals. Ooh, pretty good. Yeah. Um, Almost one and a four. Uh, thinking 
Could be a striker. Could be a striker, for sure. Uh, look, I should get this. He's won the Champions League. Scored plenty of goals. I wonder what time period this is. Uh, sorry, there's loads of dead air. <laughs> this is great content from us. Oh. That's why I was at least trying to like. It was. That's why I was trying to waffle when I was thinking about. Yeah, I normally do that. No, feel like. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I partially picked him because he scored a lot of goals for not many appearances. And I, I actually, like, when I thought about this player, I thought he had played more for us. That's not a hint that I'm giving. I just, like, my initial impression was that he, he had played more for us than he has. I mean, 87 is nothing to scoff at, but, you know. Yes. So he's probably here for about two or three years. Giroud. This is difficult. I'm going to say I'm struggling. I'll just throw out I'll just throw out Eduardo. He definitely hasn't won the Champions League. It but. is. It is not, unfortunately, Eduardo. I mean, he, um, he only played for like Shakhtar Donetsk. That wasn't yeah. us. <laughs> he was. He was a player that I had actually considered. Um, he's been done for this. Times, but he's I been. Yeah, yeah. I figured. Um, the last hint is that during the course of his very long footballing career, he played for five separate Premier League clubs. Five. Five. I had four in my brain, and I looked it up, and he's played for a fifth that I didn't know about. So it is five. No. I feel like this should be obvious now. Well, I know who it is. Yes, you know who it is. Like, oh, okay. like, like it's quite an obvious name. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Fucking hell. Like, quite an obvious name. So there's Jossi um, Benayoun played for Chelsea, Liverpool. No, no, that's not my guess. That's not my guess. No, <laughs> he, he didn't. He was only here for a season, so he didn't make uh, eighty-seven appearances. He played for Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, QPR, and West Ham. Mm -hmm. He did not play eighty-seven times for us. No, he did not. Uh, in other news, to fill the clubs. dead air, is Mali it, uh, just beaten South Africa? Oh, huge! In, huge. in, Af in the African Cup of Nations, we really Come on, care Mali. about this. Yeah, you were going to ask? Um, fuck, I no had it. Barking. I'm going to mute what you're saying. Who was it? Oh, is it? So, this guy played for Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, West Brom, Bolton. I was going to say Nicholas Anelka. For one point, Alfie, it is Nicholas it Anelka. Is. I forgot I'm about his Liverpool sure. loan completely. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's played for six teams, has he not? Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, Bolton, West Brom. Uh, he has played for Bolton, and I forgot it was during the stint that they were in the league. Yes, that is six. I completely I'll forgot take, he played for Bolton. I'll take a half Wait. point for your wrong fact. 
No, I'm joking. No, no, the no, fuck take... you won't. <laughs> Fine, he's, sp- he's spent five permanent uh, spells at Premier okay. League clubs. Fair enough, really fair enough. Um, I'll take five. Yeah, there you go. I I thought I had done quite good clues for him just because he's 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 yeah. a, he's a very. I I did him, and I didn't have any clues related to sort of those. Yeah, back in the day. Fair enough. I I, was, I thought you and Robert did him because I had heard one of those podcasts at some point. But all I'll right, take the one point. The second um, player. This, one. this is this is kind of hard one. Is this your mean world? If the last sad. one wasn't Sorry. hard, I'm screwed. Yeah. So, uh, this guy managed three caps for the Republic of Ireland. Ah, <laughs> uh, ooh, but like, fuck. I, I want to know the timeline that he played because, like, there are very few Irish Arsenal players that I know, right? Let's wait. Is it Declan Rice? For oh, fuck's sake, it is. Is it Declan Rice? Come on, uh, nationality. I tried to sway you. I tried to no, 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 you off. no. And no, by no. saying it was Three hard, points. was, Three I, was like, trying to, I was trying to imply that it was some like random Donny from like, nah, the sixties. Nah, nah. <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking. I thought it was going to be legit. My brain immediately went to like. Who can I name from like 2005 to 2015 who might have been like an Irish youth prospect? No, it's just deck. Fourth, yeah, it is. What, uh, My second what were you, fact what were was, uh, yeah, go on. was scored his first professional goal in his career against Arsenal. I would have gotten that one then. I would have gotten that easily. Fair enough. Yeah, um, third one. I feel like that's that's kind of a niche fact though. Yeah, but um, they put it. They like they it. talk about it a lot on the American broadcasts. Yeah, I know it was because I was. Yeah, I watched that. I mean, obviously, I watched that yeah. game, but. And doozy. Uh, and my third fact was joined us for a club record transfer fee, as you would okay. call it. So that's, See. yeah. That's I was like trying to like completely sway you with the first two and then throw that I like out. It. You've been, I like oh, that. I was that's that's, that's really failed. funny. Yeah. Um, yeah well, four points. You'll, next you'll probably fact. get this one quite quickly. Okay. Um, first fact during his career. This player finished second in the Ballon d'Or voting. Thierry Henry? It is not Thierry Henry. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, His first Arsenal goals were scored in the same match. It was a brace as part of a 3-1 win over Aston Villa. Say that again. Cut out. Uh, His first... His first Arsenal goals, his first two Arsenal goals, were scored in the same match as a brace in a three-one win over Aston Villa. Cow again. His Have first I? goals. His first two well, goals. Sort of. Fair yeah. enough. I hope the recording is picking all of this up, just so it can really come through yeah. later. Um, <laughs> he scored. Horrible. His yeah. first two goals were scored in the same match for Arsenal. It was a brace as part of a three-one win over Villa. Did that come through all right? Yeah, it was his first two Arsenal goals. Yep, same match. Part of a 3-1 win. But it, w- it wasn't his debut. It was not his debut. In fact, I think it was his fourth match yeah. for the club. Based on the research I did earlier. Oh. I can confirm that for you. Who's come second in the Ballon d'Or? So it was someone very good. Good player, for sure. I think who would have... 
been in that category because there's no one recent. No. But then it, they could have been in the Ballon d'Or whilst not at Arsenal. Ah, it was not Ballon his first shot. match for Arsenal. It was his fourth match for Arsenal, but it was his first start. Anyone didn't get that. Uh, it was his first start. He had played in three previous matches as a sub. It was he his first start goals. that he scored the brace. Oh, well. I feel like it's probably quite a big player, but, and people who are older who remember his playing career would know this instantly. I remember someone scoring a brace against Villa. Did you say a 3-1 win? I did. If if you want a timeline on that, um, the the Aston Villa match was in the late summer, early fall of nineteen ninety nine. Oh fuck just it a, out! Just a uh, he joined in ninety nine. It's not Burkamp. Who else would have been in that? Sort of category, maybe Vieira. Is it Vieira? It's not Patrick Vieira. No. Um, the third hint is that he, most recently in his lifelong career, has been the president of his nation's football federation, and it is a European nation. No. What were you gonna say? Is it is it Overmars? It's not Mark Overmars, no. That was shocking. It's it's, it's Davor Suker. Davor Suker. Yep. Fucking hell! You threw me off there. <laughs> right, I'll take With, zero yeah. points for that. Anyway, so I was one point. Yeah, I was like. There's no way that this Ballon d'Or clue is not going to be a dead giveaway by the end of it. Because he was Croatia's Football Federation president for, like, years and years. I didn't know that. Yeah, like, when they did all their World Cup run and everything, that's he was in charge of it all. So I'll take, I'll take one point so far. <laughs> right. You, you will not You're, happily You are on I'm, four. I'm screwed here. Yeah, I'm on four. I'm screwed here. So I think. this guy played almost every minute for France at Euro 2012. Euro 2012. Is it Matthew Flamini? No. Okay. He was shit then. Uh, this guy ended his career at a club called Valenciennes uh, at the end of last year. At the end of last season. You're mute, by the way. Yeah, I'm well aware. I'm just, it's because my dogs are barking in the background, and I'm trying not oh. to have it like enter the recording as much as possible. Um, okay, but played for ah, played for France. It's not gonna. Be, I don't think it's gonna be like Diaby or someone because that was early. Uh, I don't think it's Francis Coquelin because he's still playing in Spain. Is it? Is it Matthew Debushi? It is. Come on, let's go. Very That's good return, six points. Thank you. Hold on. I'm, I'm much happier um, with that than my... In fairness, I got given Ethan Nuaneri and a guy from the 1900s <laughs> last time we played. I'm not at like 1910s last time we played. 
I'm yeah, much true. happier with that. Uh, yeah, the, I thought I'd be a bit nicer. Uh, that's good. I, I, and you saw yeah. the, the Declan Rice bluff. Uh, was, my, final, my final yeah, fact was, was I had a I, I famously had a poster of him in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have got That's that? Awesome. No. Do you remember I that? No, See, if it was, if no it was uh, Danny, he definitely would have yeah, got that. Daniel yeah, Daniel would have, of course. There's a YouTube that, video of me tearing it down. Uh, that's fucking amazing. That's <laughs> awesome. Um, all right. Last one. And I apologize. This is my most difficult. Okay. Um, uh, this player arrived to Arsenal in July of 2007. Um, and was praised by both his coach and his former teammates as one of the brightest young defensive talents in Europe at the time. Oh. I've, I've intentionally given that as a hint because it's a mess. I think... It's a mess for me. Well, I know who we signed that summer. We signed... Who, go on. We signed Fabianski. We signed Sanya. We signed... De Juru, I think. Uh, we did not sign De Juru that summer. We didn't. Senderos? Oh, no, he came before that. I'm going to say Sanya, because we signed him in that summer, and he... So, summer of 2007, and he's he was a defender. So, Sanya. Fair. It's not Bakary Sanya, no. Um, he played at Arsenal from 2007 to 2011 or I should say was contracted at Arsenal from 2007 to 11. He never made a senior appearance because of a series of loans and I'm more than happy to list the loans he went on. Do you want the loans? He list? never played for the club. Not a single appearance but he was on our books for four oh, years. You know. okay, Do you want yeah. the loan list? Yes. Uh, he went on loan in 2008 to Salamanca in 2009 to Lielstrom, and in 2010 to FC hey, Nuremberg. Lielstrom, L-I-L-L-E-S-T-R-O-M. You know, um, and then they are, they're LSK, they're a Norwegian team, Lielstrom are, Salamanca and Nuremberg. You know. Would you like the additional information that of those three nations he went on loan to, that being Salamanca in Spain, Lielström in Norway, and Nuremberg in Germany, one of those three is his nationality? Okay. Feel like he's Spanish for some reason. Could he be Norwegian or German? Spanish defender. We signed in 2007 and never played for us. I feel like I, I can picture this guy. I can't remember his name. If he's Spanish. Like, I remember him existing, but I can't remember his name. I'm just going to say Ignacy Miguel, but it isn't him because he did play for us. But he's a Spanish defender. It's not him. He's not Spanish. Um, Ignacy Miguel? That much. Oh, the no, guy. No, the, the player is not Spanish. I thought Miguel you nodded when I said he's no, no, Spanish. No, no, no. No, no, no. 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 <laughs> uh, 
All right. So to recap, arrived in 2007, brightest defensive talents in Europe at the time, played for us technically until 2011, never made a successful appearance, is either Spanish, German, or Norwegian. Um, after leaving Arsenal, he played in his first of two stints in Germany, although he did return and make his most successful Premier League kind of cameo as a player for West Ham. He's German. He's not German. So he's Swedish. He, he's Norwegian. Sorry, oh, Norwegian. He's he's a Norwegian player. What? This is this Norwegian. is a name that I know really well because of the German team I support. <laughs> and I know he played for West Ham. Like I remember him there too. You didn't remember Matthew Opson? And you know this fucking Donny because he played yes. for West Ham. Yes, I my Who brain is, works in weird ways. This is my first defeat, by the way, ever. <laughs> this is I've always this is at least brutal. drawn. Top. This is brutal. Uh, in fairness, I've gone pretty hard with the clues, or in this case, the player, because I've given you a lot of information. Who played for West Ham and was contracted to us. Absolutely no idea. Hinterager. It's not Martin Hinterager. He's Austrian. Uh, do you remember no. a fellow by the name of Harvard Nordweit? Vaguely rings a bell, but what yeah. the fuck is that? Harvard Nordweit signed for us in 2007. He was at the club for four years, literally was only out on loan. Went to Borussia Mönchengladbach, who are my favorite German team, from 2011 to 2016, then to West Ham, then to Hoffenheim. <laughs> this is just my to be honest out, but to be honest this is kind of yeah. um payback yes. for me for some of the names i've done over the years oh my lord well, so i'll give you some because i've got yeah go, what, what are some of the ones you busted out here because i did I, Emiliano I viviano that's awesome famously okay. with zero, zero yeah. minutes on his loan spell um <laughs> who else have i done that's um, brutal I did the the uh, Tierney one, but I gave the fact that he made his debut against Spurs in Finland. Uh, yeah. It was four Celtic in preseason. Um, Rob did Matt Macy. <laughs> Matt Macy's just, uh, Matt Macy's a, a FIFA legend, though. I I'll know that guy anytime. True. Oh, I did Craig Eastman. That's brutal. <laughs> Uh, who else did I do? I did Mark Randall. Mark Randall. Who the fuck is Mark? He was. Randall? He was. He was like tipped. He was playing alongside Wilshere and Ramsey in the League Cup uh, uh, in like 2009, and he was tipped to be like it, that. Was tipped to be our next midfield. Those three, and then huh. he just didn't make it. Like the rest Fair of the enough. other two did. And I did John Radford. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Never in a million years. That's harsh. I did. So yeah, Harvard uh, North feels like a bit of justice. Jeez, who? John Hartson. I don't know who that is. Well, striker. Uh, Daniel did Frank McClintock. <laughs> I remember that one. Uh, I did Donny L. Marlin. Uh, and that's that's Dan- fun. Daniel though. did. Daniel did uh, Francis Jeffers as well. Yep. Oh, and uh, Rob did Dan Crowley. <laughs> yep. Like random guy uh, that went to Barnsley or something. Brutal. Uh, 
utterly brutal for most. I don't think there are any other two bad ones. In fact, I'll read out every player that's been done. You, we don't have to. This is... <laughs> Monreal, O'Leary, Squalacci, oh Sanya, Bold, Steve Bold, uh, Shamak, yeah, yeah. Squalacci again, Danielson, Song, uh, Michael Thomas, Ignacy Miguel, Danielson again, Dennis Suarez, uh, oh Seaman, Song, Rizitsky, Ben Ayun, Viviano, Arshavin, Abue, Arteta, Anelka, Kleb, Dejuru, Joel Campbell, Chubarak Pom, Edu, Ray Parler, Park, Murtasaka, Czech, Wright, Asano, Brimpong, Overmars, Gnabry, Gallas, Pat Rice, Gabriel Paulista, Lehman, Lichsteiner, Macy, Zelalim, Vela, Vermalen, Gibbs, Kanu, Ishmael Benesser, <laughs> uh, Ceballos, Gibbs, Adams, uh, Graham, Lundberg, Manone, Santos, Ed Eastman, Wiltord, Ospina, Cazorla, John Jules, <laughs> uh, Elneny, Crowley, Dejuru, Tierney, Randall, Radford, Saka, Parler, Leno, Eduardo, Gallas, Rocastle, Eduardo, Merson, Hartson, Smith, Jeffers, McClintock, Marlon, Dixon, Javinio. Brilliant. And then, and then the ones in the last drunk and cast. And then all the drunk cast ones, which you guys have yeah. to listen to, and the ones we've just done. So, yeah. Anyway, let's draw this bad boys and close, because it's been Please. way too long. It's been a um, long-ass podcast compared to what has. we said we were going to do, eh? I'll listen back to this on the plane tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Brilliant. Yeah. Marketing opportunity of a lifetime, mate. Uh, I recently wrote an article for no longer we love you arsenal.co.uk. Now we love you arsenal.com. We finally breached the dot com bubble. Um, only people who are pretty old will get that joke. But yeah, we've breached the dot com bubble. We are now an official website that no longer has co.uk. Um, we've Americanized, which is huge. But yeah. My piece is about whether or not Mikel Arteta hates Hailend. And other than the fact that I've spelt analyzed with a Z because I'm American, uh, it has Rob Worthington's seal of approval, which should at least be enough for you guys to go give it a look-see. So, yeah. What about you, Alf? It's a great piece. So I'll just, I'll second that. We love you, Arsenal.co.com. Um, and Max Peace. Uh, yeah, we need a song before we go. We do need a song, don't we? Something oh, about Christ. trivia or power rank. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm trolling through Spotify. This is dreadful. It's what a about, terrible podcast. Well, well we do another uh, random thing from your playlist. Oh, perfect. All right. We are now 1 through 4,008. Go on, Alf. Uh, 3,008. Ah, perfect. I like this solution when we've run out of everything else. Okay. Um, we're going random songs in the playlist. 3008. I'm a little off it. Is. Dink, 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 dink. Uh, Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum. A little classic rock for you folks. Uh, I'm actually quite happy with that one. Love My that. playlist is such a crapshoot. Yeah, good song. So well, enjoy some Spirit in the Sky. Yeah, perfect. While, while I edit the podcast, exactly. Yeah. He's packing for skiing. I'm not. Um, You're doing the labor. A little bit of it, yeah. You're also yawning into the microphone, so I, I can take the outro yeah, if you I'm want. I'm very tired. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. as I'll, heads off to bed. 
been a pleasure. Thank you to all of you for listening. Please like, please leave a review only if it's five stars. Uh, slash just leave a five-star review because we know you love us. Um, share it with all of your cool uncles, and we will see you all on episode 204, I think is our next one. So, yeah, post, post Palace this weekend, which I'm a little nervous about, but should be fun. See y'all in a bit. Goodbye. Bye.